everyone and welcome back to the Barely Bookish Podcast. Today we're going to be finishing off Through the Looking Glass with Leah from YA Book Chat. So that's going to be a whole lot of fun. But before we get started with that, I just wanted to have a couple quick announcements. So first, um, on August 6th, uh, the first Friday of August, we will have our next Patreon exclusive episode. That's going to be with Nova and we are going to be discussing all of the Disney adaptations of Alice in Wonderland. So that includes the two Tim Burton films, as well as the original Disney one that came out in like the 50s, I think. But we'll be discussing that. It'll be exclusively on Patreon. So if you want a little bit of fun, extra content for just $10 a month, you can help support the podcast and get exclusive episodes every single month. And so well as my show notes. So lots of fun things over on Patreon. And I really hope you'll consider subscribing. Um, besides that, we will be doing... Um, more twitch streams um i'm going to be moving soon so once i'm done moving i will be you know setting a real firm schedule about twitch uh, on twitch i guess and once that happens i will let you all know what it looks like so that you guys can tune into episodes and all that fun stuff but i don't really know what that's going to look like yet but i will let you know as soon as i do but without further ado let's get into this episode of the barely bookish podcast Hello everyone, welcome back to the Barely Bookish Podcast. We are once again talking about Through the Looking Class, and this is the second round of chapters, and it is very exciting, and honestly my favorite of the two books. But we are once again joined uh, by Leah from the YA Book Chat. Hey everybody, and uh, this is also my favorite of the two books. I like this one much better. Yeah, definitely. I think this is far, far superior in my humble opinion, because I feel like it's more of a story than the first one was. Yes, it's just, it is. It's just more of a cohesive story that you can follow. And we've got Alice has a goal at the end. And yeah, the first one's just kind of rambling nonsense. (laughs) Yeah, the first one's definitely a whole lot of rambling nonsense. I... I couldn't even follow along. I was taking notes and I was like, no one's going to get this, but you know what? It'll be okay. (laughs) It's Alice in Wonderland, so it's perfectly fine. Yeah, but we'll get right into it. So (laughs) chapter six, Humpty Dumpty. So as she gets closer to this egg, it gets more and more human. And now it's turned into Humpty Dumpty. And this is the first time that I've actually fully realized that Humpty Dumpty is actually an egg. Like, I kind of forgot that he's, like, like he's round and egg-shaped. I forgot that. (laughs) He is. He is very much an egg, just a big, huge egg sitting on a wall for some reason. I know. I have no idea why, but I just, it's so funny to me because, you know, that's just what we have. We just have an egg. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, when I was growing up, I'd always be like, why is an egg sitting on a wall? That's stupid. (laughs) So, I mean, you're just asking for trouble there. I know. It's like your skull is literally the most fragile object in existence. You know, golden retrievers hold you very softly in their mouths for that specific reason. It's because they are so fragile. Yep. Oh, well, here he is sitting on the wall for Alice. Yeah, doing what he wants, I guess. (laughs) So Alice immediately offends Humpty Dumpty and says he looks like an egg, to which he says that she has no more sense than a baby. Which is ironic because he is an egg, but he's offended when she says he looks like an egg. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wonder if he just doesn't realize that he's an egg and he thinks he's just, you know, his own species kind of thing. Hmm. I've never really like, thought one about of those... that before. Yeah. I wonder if it's one of those phenomenons, like, you know how the scientists say that if you walked by a clone of yourself, you wouldn't recognize them as you? So really? I wonder if it's something similar. 
yeah, there's there's a whole study. I read it a long time ago, but yeah, if you walked by an identical clone, you'd be like, huh, they look kind of familiar. But because you always look at yourself backwards, you wouldn't recognize it as yourself. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. Wow. It's how why identical twins sometimes think they don't look similar at all. Well, that makes sense. Well, maybe he does then. Maybe this is what's happening to Humpty Dumpty. I don't know. But I will say I am not surprised that Alice, you know, two seconds into this chapter has already insulted somebody. (laughs) I mean, that's just her pattern, right? Yeah, I am not surprised in the slightest. I'm like, yeah, that feels right. That goes with the flow. (laughs) So, of course, Humpty Dumpty is sitting on a very narrow wall so the king can send all of his horses and all of his men. And then Humpty Dumpty and Alice continue to fight because that's how things go for some reason. Yep. And then Humpty Dumpty says that he got a present from the queen on his unbirthday and basically explains that that is any day that is not your actual birthday. Yes. Yeah. Which is fantastic. (laughs) I know. Like, do you get a present for every day that's not your birthday and then you don't get birthday presents? I've never thought about that. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Rachel, you keep making me think of all these things. I'm like, gosh, I have never looked at it from that perspective before. I hadn't thought about that. See, that's the good part of having no nostalgic value to any of these books is that I always just kind of I treat them, you know how like people treat J.K. Rowling books where they expect her to ask answer all these questions about this universe she created and like how it works yeah. outside of her story. I basically do that to every book I read, which is not the nicest way to read literature, but I do it anyways. <laughs> it works. It's what's worked for you. So it's fine. I think it's fun, but other people are like, I literally can't ask that, answer that for you. And I'm like, I'm posing it to the universe. There we go. Yeah, I cannot answer that for you. <laughs> but I will say this. If people wanted to give me unbirthday presents 364 days a year, especially if many of them were in the form of books, I would not object mm-hmm. to that. My P.O. box is. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> Please send if people start doing that, way. I will get a P.O. box. <laughs> I am very ready to get unbirthday presents. Uh-huh. Me too. Yeah, so at this point, she can't tell if Humpty Dumpty's wearing a belt or if he's wearing, I can't remember what this is called, but it's basically like a necktie situation. And he gets super offended because it's a necktie, but of course he's a round egg. So (laughs) So she cannot tell. It's a cravat. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that feels right, I think. Yeah. And I mean, I can't blame her. It's re- it is really hard to tell. I have a picture of Humpty Dumpty in my book and oh, it yeah. is kind of hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know. I'd be like That's a nice thing you got right there. That thing. Wonderful. <laughs> okay, and then Humpty Dumpty also says that he makes words mean things that they didn't mean before. And normally we would call this uneducated, but for Humpty Dumpty's case, we say he invents words and yes. he gives them meaning. So then Alice asks if he can explain the Jabberwocky poem. And so, you know, they go through it. I still don't get it. and But I did <laughs> write the translation down in the first verse so we can all sit here and listen to it together. Okay. So... This is the way he translated it. Twas, twas? Yep. It was four in the afternoon, and the lithe and slimy badgers did go round and round the make holes in the grass around the sundial, all flimsy and miserable were the thin, shabby birds, and from home, question mark, green pigs sneeze. What? <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure Humpty Dumpty did not translate that poem correctly. No, no. (laughs) Absolutely not. So I actually um, 
use this poem in my drama class because mm-hmm. we do a we do a unit on um well Elizabethan theater, but then I also put in there with that like how to how to understand or figure out what something means when you don't know the words. So this poem is of course perfect for that. So I always try and get my students to interpret what they think it means. And um, they're all, okay. So this is what kind of our interpretation has been so far of this first part is that twas gloomy and the slimy now toves usually goes like, you know, could be like worms or toads, like they always say toads, like top frogs, did, and now gyre and gimbal in the wave, they thought of like wave back and forth, like in the wind, kind of. All mimsy were the borogove, so like flimsy, and the mome rails outgrave. They thought, you know, maybe it was rats or something. I don't know. (laughs) It's very hard to... um, interpret these four lines oh yeah oh yeah it is i was just like sure those are words i guess (laughs) sounds good (laughs) yeah so that happens and then humpty dumpty starts repeating poetry to her for a reason always i just always with the poetry i know like how many teachers just kind of look at these poems and just read them aloud and just kind of go, okay, next. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'd do. That is a good... Oh, I would too. And this one is about fish. It's about fish. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I wasn't really sure the point of this one, but, you know, whatever. Or the oyster one. I'm still not sure what the point of that one was. I can't. I can't. No, the walrus and the carpenter and the poor little oysters who get eaten. Nope. Nope. I know. It was really sad. (laughs) It is really sad, especially when you see it put before you on screen. Like that, because there isn't, I have seen an animated version of that poem, Mm -hmm. and I don't remember. Gosh, I don't even remember where I saw it. it. But at any rate, the um, the oysters, they make them look like little baby oysters. So they have like bonnets on their head. Like they make them look super cute. And then you go no. and you see and they follow them. And then, and then before you know it, the shells are empty and there's no more little cute oysters in their bonnets. And you're like, oh, that's really sad. Way to make it even worse there. Yeah, that's... That sounds awful. I don't mm-hmm. I don't want it. I don't want to deal with it. It's so sad. No. <laughs> then basically Humpty Dumpty decides to just kind of like dismiss her. And as she's walking away, she hears a he- heavy crash in the forest. <laughs> Gee, so like, do I you wonder think, what happened. <laughs> I know. Do you think Humpty Dumpty just is committed to this fall? Like... He knows he's not going to fall. He's balancing. But do you think at some point he's just like, all right, time to fall? I don't know. I mean, because if they can't put him together again, that's just stupid. It's like he's dying. You know? Like, why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know if he knows that part of the poem. We know that part, but I don't know if he does. He only knows that, you know, all these people are going to come and help and... All this fanfare. Probably. I think maybe he just gets a little overconfident and uh, ends up losing his balance and topples off. That's what I think. Yeah, I don't even know why he's up there. I don't either. Again, I have (laughs) never understood this poem because I have always thought, why? is an egg sitting on a wall that he could so easily fall off of. But I I guess children's nursery rhymes aren't really supposed to make much sense anyway, so you just kind of have to let it go at some point. Yeah. It's like the ring around the rosy. Who thought that was a good idea? Oh, gosh. I don't even want to know. Or like, um, like lullabies. 
Have you ever thought about this? Like rockabye baby on the treetop, when the wind blows, the cradle will stop. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. The baby is falling out of the tree onto the ground. Whose idea was that? Why is that okay? It just, I don't know. For some reason, whenever I think of these nursery rhymes, they feel very sick and twisted to me. Like, who came up with this? Are they okay? And should we call CPS? Because I feel vaguely threatened. (laughs) Yeah, something is definitely wrong. Yeah. Lullabies, to me, sound like they are always, um, like being sung by creepy kids in horror movies and it feels like that's how they were supposed to be you know listened to and then actual little kids pick them up yeah it does kind of feel that way doesn't it it's weird Mm -hmm. i don't know i know i always feel like the shining twin should just jump out at me Ugh, i can't (laughs) nightmares (laughs) (laughs) Of course, the girl from The Ring is a lot worse for me, but, you know. Oh, yeah. Terrifying. Mm. Or that, like, mm-hmm. I haven't watched a whole lot of older horror movies, but, like, whenever I'm like, oh, I need to think of a horror movie, my brain goes, I see dead people. Yeah. From The Sixth Sense. Yeah. I've never even seen that whole movie. Mm-mm. I haven't either. So, chapter seven, The Lion and the Unicorn. So everyone is stumbling as they're running, um, like the all the all the king's horses and all the king's men are all stumbling. No one can run in a straight line. Everyone's fallen over. Anytime the horses slightly move, the soldiers fall off. I don't know if it's because they're super well trained and this is an opposite w- world, or what's going on. I don't know why they're all falling off. Well. I think I think it's probably because it's the opposite world. That'd be my guess. Either that or it's because, you know, at the end we find out she's comparing them to her kittens and every time kittens walk they fall over. That's very true. <laughs> that could be it. Yeah, so I'm not sure which is the right answer, but it's one of them. Yeah. So Alice is hanging out with the White King uh, when a messenger comes up and... They, for some reason, clarify that this is an Anglo-Saxon man. And I don't know why that matters so much. I don't either. Well, okay. So I think that part of it was, because he, he made a point, right. He said he's Anglo-Saxon. But then he made a point of saying a couple of times, like, that he was, like, talking in an Anglo-Saxon way or gesturing in an Anglo-Saxon way. And I was like... Am I supposed to know what that means? Like maybe during this time period in the 1800s when he wrote it, it meant something more specific to them. I don't know, but it meant nothing to me. So I I didn't understand that either. Because I'm pretty sure the Brits are Anglo-Saxons, right? Like, I don't know. I thought they are. I was just like, that is very specific. I don't know why. So. Or when... They said that Humpty Dumpty was sitting on the like ledge like a Turk. I was like, am I supposed to know what that means? Like, I know that you're comparing him to someone who's Turkish, but I don't understand if I should be offended or not. I feel like I should be, but I don't <laughs> know why. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I understand. Yeah. It just, it doesn't sit quite right with me, but I was like, I don't really know what that means, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So the messenger says that the lion and the unicorn are fighting for the white king's crown. So the king, the Alice, and the messenger all run over to the fight now. So when they come to the fight, it seems like it's basically done for the day. And they're all starting to like eat, sit down, have a meal. And then the white queen starts flying from the woods (laughs) <laughs> and the unicorn's talking to the king and then sees Alice and looks at her with like super disgust for no reason and the unicorn says that they didn't believe in children but now you know 
Alice and the unicorn have to believe in each other because they're seeing each other. Right? Because she was like, I've never believed in a unicorn before. I didn't know they were real, but there you are. I'm just saying, all the things that Alice seems to believe in, she draws the line at unicorns. Yeah, right? Like, I don't... (laughs) You would think that with everything that happened in the first book, um, that, you know, she'd be more willing to accept unicorns after everything else that happened. Yeah, plus, like, she literally just chatted with uh, Flowers, that had consciousness and <laughs> you know she's like but unicorns that's where i draw the line <laughs> i don't know i guess it's one of those things because unicorns always seem so magical and so special and like so much so that you're like there's no way that that could be real i could i could believe that an animal could talk to me or a flower could talk or move about or whatever, but unicorns, I don't know. They've just, they're just like in this whole uh, realm of their own. I don't, they're different for some reason. They're different. I don't know. Have you ever heard the theory that um, when people first quote discovered unicorns, they were actually trying to describe a rhino? Yes, I have heard that. And I, I like that. That's very interesting. Every time I think about unicorns, I just think about rhinos now. Like I, I always just put them and I lump them together because that theory is so prevalent in my mind. Well, that makes sense. I mean, rhinos have one horn on the front of their snout, mm-hmm. if that's what you want to call it. Um, I mean, it works. It works. I just... I love the idea that people are like, no way, no way, man. There's no way you ever saw that. And the guy's like, well, it was like kind of like a horse, but a little fatter. And then they're drawing it and they just draw a horse. And he goes, yeah, kind of. It was gray. And they're like, horses don't come in gray, Bernard. And he's like, no, I swear to you, this is a gray horse. And it had a horn right, you know, on the front on its like muzzle. And they're like, Bernard, Bernard, listen. You know, just tell us what kind of drugs you brought over to the Americas. And we're not going to say it, not America, so probably <laughs> Africa, but, you know, the Africa. And, you know, we won't say anything as long as you get us something. He's like, no, nah, man, I swear to you, day and night, I saw a horse with a horn. And they're going to be like, oh, Bernard, you crazy, crazy man. Little do they know. He's actually correct. Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, what else would you describe a rhino as if you had nothing else to compare it to? But I feel like, to me, giraffes seem more mystical. Like, why are their necks so long? Right? Agreed. I mean, because a rhino is kind of like shaped like a hippo almost, too. You know, they're Mm -hmm. just wide and big and got those chunky legs. (laughs) I don't know. They both like grow out water. Hippos more than rhinos, but anyway. Have have you ever seen a giraffe fight each other? Um, In a cartoon. (laughs) But not like actual real footage. Oh my gosh. It's insane. It's insane. They basically like limp neck it and smack each other with their faces. It's insane. Because they're so so long. It's so weird. (laughs) Anyways... Unicorns and a lion. <laughs> Unicorns and a lion. This is just the weirdest matchup to me, but I guess the, this book had a lot of fighting in it. Yeah, it did. It really did. Yeah. I do. This is actually um, one of my favorite parts, though. I've always really enjoyed this chapter. I don't know why. I think it's just maybe it is because of the unicorn and he's just this mythical, fun creature, and you have a lion and they fight, but yet. You know, they don't kill each other. They're like, oh, let's take a break and have some cake. This will be great, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, this is, it's just like a fun, friendly kind of fight. I don't know. I've always really enjoyed this chapter. I know. I like that Alice always walks in at the best time, too. It's like mm-hmm. the fighting is either about to start but doesn't or is, like, just ending. Yeah. So, so like, she doesn't have to, you know, really participate. And I that's think right. that's fun. She gets to avoid the the meat of it. Yeah. 
Because I feel like that's a little scarring for a seven and a half year old. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Then they take their break and they're all sitting down casually. And Alice tries to cut the cake, but every time she cuts it, it joins back together. And then the <laughs> unicorn's like, oh, you know you, what you actually got to do is you have to pass out the cake before you cut it. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? You're insane. <laughs> but that's how it works. Somehow the lion got a double portion and Alice got none, but she did pass it out. And yeah. I mean, looking glass world. Every single little thing is backwards, including how to cut out, cut and pass out cake. Pass it out first and it magically cuts itself and then you cut it after. But then you're like, poor Alice, um, there's nothing on the plate for me to cut now. Alice is having a day, but it's also Mm -hmm. weird thinking about the fact that this is her mind creating this entire storyline. That's true. But the plus is that she's hoping that at the end of it, she gets to be a queen. So she's got a really good goal. You know, if I was, if all these weird things were happening to me, but somebody was like, you get to be the queen at the end. I'd be like, all right, sure. Let's go. <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah. Right. Why just not? Kind of reading this. I'm just wondering what Alice is going through. Like <laughs> she's a very, very active imagination. I'm just kind of like, you good over there or <laughs> something going on at home. Do you need, maybe she just spends a lot of time by herself. Yeah. You know, like her sister. Seems like she kind of annoys her sister. Yeah. So maybe she doesn't really get to play with her sister very much. And it kind of seems like we never hear about her mom and dad. So maybe it was one of those situations where it's like, children are better left to their own devices. (laughs) You know, I don't know. Come to me at tea time, darling. Yeah, because it is the 1800s, so most people that were rich, and it seems like she's rich, they didn't raise their own kids. They had, like, nannies and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So. Which is mm. crazy. Anyway, that's a discussion for a different day. (laughs) I know. I know. I can't even imagine the therapy bills if 1800s kids could go to therapy. No. (laughs) feel like we've already said enough people know where we stand yeah um, pretty much <laughs> so now there's like this horribly loud drawing a draw drumming sorry and the only way alice knows how to deal with it is to run and hide with her hands over her ears to block it out well she is and seven it, years old so <laughs> yeah i guess she's not she doesn't have to be like a it's just funny to me because she's curious about everything except this loud, persistent drumming. she That's the one thing that she's like, mm, no. Right. I right. draw the line. Well, I can't say as I blame her. I mean, really loud, annoying drumming. I'd probably cover my ears and run for the hills too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of loud sounds, so I get it. <laughs> so then we're on to chapter eight. It's my own invention. I definitely thought this, based on the chapter title, was going to be about something else. I thought this was going to be like her waking up the world's her own invention. That's where I thought we were at. Right? Me too. Because that's that's totally, that's just the first thing that popped into my head as well. I was like, oh, okay, dream. She's waking up or something. She realizes that it's all just in her head. But nope, <laughs> not what happens. So the drums disappear, everything's quiet again, and it seems like she might have teleported again, to which I was correct. Um, the red knight comes up and's like, hey, Alice, you're my prisoner. And she's like, mm, what? And then a white knight shows up and he's like, mm, no, she's not actually. <laughs> Shining knight. Wait, <laughs> I can't. How does that? How does that go? Your oh, he's her knight in shining armor come to rescue her. Literally, I wasn't sure what that makes sense, but my brain because I got so used to poetry just in like woven throughout the story. I was ready for you to start re- reciting poetry. I was like, okay, where's this gonna go? <laughs> no, I was just trying to formulate my thoughts for right there. 
A big mood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the two knights decide that they're going to fight for her. And Alice literally says, yeah, basically what happened is they each fell off the horse. Somehow the <laughs> white knight won. And then the white knight's like, oh, you're going to be queen after the next brook. And she's like, cool. Sounds great. So somehow this knight lost everything because he decided to store a box upside down so that rain wouldn't get into it but he left the box open so everything fell out and i'm like well if this is opposite world why does this have consequences well i mean even still you put anything upside down like that stuff's gonna fall out he needed to have a lock on it like a clasp something to close it shut (laughs) yeah i'm just I don't know. I would think that would be the best way to store things, right? Because you know, you pass the cake out before you cut it. You store right. a box that you want to stay closed by opening it. But this is the one time that things just did not work out for this poor night. Yeah. It just, apparently gravity just, except for in the house where you're floating. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently gravity still is normal. So that didn't work, even though it's looking glass land and everything else is yeah. backwards. Yeah, I don't know why, but that know. was a thing. So the knight has like a bunch of super weird, seemingly useless inventions. <laughs> like they're just kind of all over the place, to be honest. Yep. The, um, he's got a beehive. A beehive. <laughs> yeah. Why? He's like, I want I good bees. Know. And he's like, but no one's come to the beehive yet. And I'm like, okay. And then he's got a mouse trap too. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I'm like, why the mouse trap? For what reason? Well, and it's funny because Alice, Alice says she was wondering what the mouse trap was for. She says it isn't very likely there would be any mice on the horse's back. And he's like, no. But if they do come, I don't choose to have them running about. So it's kind of it's kind of like he has these things. As a precaution, like just in case, you know, kind of a preventive method. Just in case I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot. Like, you know, he's a weird survivalist. Like he's got everything he could ever need, but like he doesn't need them. Again, looking glass world. He has it, but he doesn't need it. I, I don't know better than not having what you need when you need it yes but he also had a such a tall hat so that when he fell off this horse you know it the hat would hit first and then he'd basically stay on the horse but the problem is is that he built it somehow so big that he fell through it like i don't know if his head is just so large that it also like he's got like a cat like body where anywhere his head fits in his whole body fits in but most of us humans have shoulders and this man just doesn't have any i guess yeah it was kind of hard picturing that it was really hard envisioning that what i have in my head is the image from that 1986 movie which i do have to say In that movie, this is actually one of my favorite scenes because the white knight is like super sweet and kind. And he's just this like older man who is like just there to rescue Alice and to help her. And he's the sweetest thing. And Alice just loves him and it's adorable. So it's one of, it's a, it's a nice scene. I like it. And then he keeps falling off the horse, like the other people, like the other knights and, um, horses keep falling. He keeps falling off this horse every other step, basically. Yeah. Like at this point, just get off the horse, walk the horse with you, and you guys will probably make progress a lot faster. <laughs> Definitely. He's not going anywhere. Atlas is like, Do you have practice doing this? <laughs> He's like, Oh, I have plenty of practice. And she, she, yeah, she's like, Okay. Like, she's just like, I don't think that's true, but whatever, we're going to go with it because that's what he says. Basically, she's like, yeah, okay, sure. (laughs) 
So then the knight decides to sing her a song and then he leaves and he's like, oh, can you wait and watch me go? She's like, I guess that's fine. <laughs> so he leaves and then she crosses the brook and suddenly she has a crown on her head. Ta-da! Ta-da! So then chapter nine, Queen Alice. So suddenly the other queens are on either side of her. And she goes to ask the Red Queen a question, but tells her to speak only when spoken to. And Alice is like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Because if everybody obeyed that rule, then, and you only ever spoke when you were spoken to, and the other person waited for you to begin, nobody would ever say anything. (laughs) She's got a point. I mean, she's got a point. Truly got a point. She does. I agree with her. Apparently, they tell Alice that she has to pass proper examination to be a queen, but that never comes up again. No. (laughs) She's like, cool. So, and then they said uh, that they're inviting each other to Alice's dinner party. She goes, I didn't know that I was having a dinner party. And she's like, well, you should have invited us. And she's like, (laughs) what? I didn't even know I was giving a dinner party. Okay, great. (laughs) She's like, wow, I have so many people I should have invited along the way. Oh, and then, and then they're like, don't you have any manners? Like, aren't manners taught in your lessons? And Alice is like, manners aren't taught in my lessons. Lessons are like for math and history and stuff, not manners. Yeah. And then they like start quizzing her on her math skills. But then when they subtract things, they're using like riddles. <laughs> And they're like, you take a bone from a dog, what's left? And then she's like, I don't know. And they're like, the dog's temper. Like, you're not learning anything. (laughs) Poor Alice. Yeah. So now the white queen is falling asleep on her shoulder. And Mm -hmm. after the red queen sings her lullaby, she starts to get sleepy and falls asleep on Alice's other shoulder. And they both start snowing, snoring, and she's like, I hate this. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Sitting here with these two ladies asleep. I can't move. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. And then she immediately, they vanish, and she's standing in front of a door. Now, this door has two bells, one for servants, one for visitors. And when she knocks, the creature says, no admittance. No admitting until the week after next. <laughs> it's funny because Sorry. as I was reading this, I half expected the um, the frog footman from the first book to answer the door. the re- Or the fish, whichever one it was, who answered the door at the Duchess's house. I half oh, expected that, that so to be. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's the same. No, it's not. <laughs> and now it's just some old frog. Yeah. So people start singing about Alice. And so she walks to the room and there's a large hall with about 50 guests in it. And they're all sitting at this really long table. And she's like, oh, geez, okay, I got to run to my spot. So she sits down in between the two queens. And they're like, we've been waiting for you. (laughs) She's like, what are you talking about? You were just outside. I was just outside. And then he wouldn't let me in. You disappeared. It's like, you know what this makes me think of? In The Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy says, people come and go so quickly here <laughs> because yeah. they just vanish and come out of nowhere. Yeah, honestly, though. So then the Red Queen keeps introducing Alice to her food so she can't eat it. And I'm like, (laughs) why? I don't know. And then Alice orders them to bring the pudding back so that um, they do. And she cuts a slice of it and the pudding gets super offended. She's like, the pudding's like, did I not just meet you? Like, what are you doing? Don't eat me. We're friends now. I mean, and I suppose... If you're talking to your pudding, you can't really eat it. I mean, if it comes to life and starts talking to you, I wouldn't be eating mine either. No, I would not. And then all the guests start to like get consumed by the food, I guess. And then Alice starts shaking the Red Queen, who turned super small again. And then chapter 10, shaking. As she's shaking her, she turns fatter and softer and rounder. Chapter 11, waking. And she was the kitten the whole time. 
it's the kitten because Alice was taking a nap in the chair with the kitten. So chapter 12, which dreamed it? Yeah, the kitten actually woke her up <laughs> This after all this. And then she brings the red chess piece over to the kitten and tries to get the kitten to confess that uh, the kitten had turned into the chess piece. And the kitten is like not interested at all in anything Alice has to say. Mm-mm. And then Dinah's still cleaning the white kitten this whole time. And then she, um, Alice thinks that the white kitten was uh, looks so disorderly um, in her dream because the white kitten was the white queen because she was being licked the entire time by Dinah. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, in all reality, like you think about it, even for us, when you know, when we dream stuff, your subconscious takes things that happen to you during the day and just kind of like distorts them and put them into different realities. So, I mean, that really actually does really make perfect sense that that would be yeah. why it was like that. Yeah, I get it. It's just so, it's so weird. I know. <laughs> I've just at this point, you know, learned to just accept it and understand that Lewis Carroll wrote some strange stuff. So I'm just going to sit back and appreciate it as a good, just fun, nonsense kind of piece of literature and enjoy it. Yeah, I was like, all right, sounds good. Yes. I will say I definitely like this one more. It mm-hmm. felt more like a real dream. The other one felt like a fever dream. Like I was sick and dying in a hospital dreaming that way. <laughs> Seriously. But um, it is. I really, I really like both of them though. I think they're both great. And I cannot wait to watch the movies and then chat about the movies with you. Oh, I know. I'm so excited. So it's I got some fun. quick, fun, short facts that... Luckily, we're included in the back of my edition, which is the Puffin Classics edition. So, first fun fact, his actual name was not Lewis Carroll. It was Charles Ludwig Dodgson. Which is a mouthful. Lewis Carroll, so much easier to say. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, absolutely. I definitely would have changed that on over. Um, He was also never married. He was one of 11 children. Hmm, that's and a lot. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Hmm. And then obviously he grew up in England. Um, and the reason he changed his name to Lewis Carroll is he actually wrote mathematical books under his real name. And hmm. so for the children's books, he wanted a different name. So that's why he adopted the... Um, named Lewis Carroll. Oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. It tells me <laughs> why, how he got Lewis Carroll. So he, this is a direct quote from the Puffin Classics edition. He got his name by translating the first two names, Charles Ludwig, into a Latin as Corliss Ludvodicus, and then he anglicized them and reversed oh their order. That is insane. That's a lot of effort to come up with a pen name. I mean, yeah. I'm, I I just would be like, what name do I like? Oh, I like this name. I'm going to be this. I mean, the research, the hit, like that's a lot. <laughs> but hey, whatever, to each his own. It works. I mean, it works, so. Yeah. Yeah, I just, my pen name came from, like, a random name generator, and then people thought it was actually a nickname of my name, because my pen name was Ray, R-A-E, and so a lot of people call me Ray, and they were like, oh, it's just, like, a nickname version of your name, and I had never thought of it that way, and I was like, oh, I guess it is, weird. (laughs) So then it turns out, because I know you had kind of mentioned this, but the Alice was not actually a neighbor. It was, um, he wrote it for one of the children of Henry Little, uh, the dean of Christ College Church, and one of his kids, whose name was Alice. Mm-hmm. 
And for some, okay, this is a really weird thing is they said that they, Charles um, and his friend, Reverend Robinson Duckworth took Alice and her two sisters on a boating trip. And then to keep them amused, he told them the tale of Alice and the White Rabbit. But it's weird that the the father of these kids or the mother was not involved in this boating trip. Yes, that is very weird. Um, However... That also right with me. No, but here's the... I am... I love Lewis Carroll and these books. So I am just going to imagine that perhaps the parents were there and it's just not mentioned in that. And I'm going to let it go with that. I I cannot have this man tainted in my head. No. (laughs) Also, it was another time, you know, maybe it wasn't weird then. Um, Yeah. Oh my gosh. That sounds good. Several words. Yeah, from Lewis Carroll's nonsensical poems have become part of the English language, such as chortle, which combines snort and chuckle from the poem uh, Jabberwocky and galumph, which combines gallop and triumph. So I have heard of both of those words before. I, I mean, like as what they're used for, chortle and galumph. However, I did not realize that those were words that he... That those were his own words that he made up. It's like actually Shakespeare made up words too. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. William Shakespeare yeah. made up words as well. So it's it's kind of like how you know they talk about how quickly things move with social media. Like we make up words all the time. Like mm-hmm. cap, that's not a word. We made that up, right? And it's just everyone says it. It's caught on now. But it's like it's weird the fact that. It just takes one person to say it, and then it catches on, and everyone says it. Exactly. Or it gets put into a crazy poem. (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's a recipe for plum cake in the back of this book. (gasps) That is so fun! Yeah, that is very cool. Oh, that's awesome. Also, you can tell that this is for little kids because it has a how to make your own Humpty Dumpty. Oh, that's super cute. Yeah. See, it's all about that. egg decorating. And then it's got oh. chess information and like fun facts about chess. Cute nice. little glosser. Oh, it explains what a cravat is, which is kind of nice. Because <laughs> we do need that explanation. Yeah. And then it's got a preview oh. of the journey to the great Oz, aka Wizard of Oz. In the back mm, love that yeah. um yeah lots of fun stuff but so you see now after reading both of these books how disney meshed the two of them together like they just took a cheap way around and meshed two of them together and, and created their own version instead of sticking true completely to lewis carroll's story because even because yeah. the unbirthday as we discovered is in this book but mm-hmm. Disney puts it in when Alice is with the Mad Hatter and the March Hare because I sing that whole song about your unbirthday. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to revisit that because um, me and a friend are going to be revisiting that for Patreon. Um, so I am very excited to revisit that now actually having the source material in my mm-hmm. head. So that should yeah. be very, very fun. It's going to be great. And then watching the... Um, because the the two the ones that I told you about the like 1986 ones or whatever are a lot more true to both of the books. Now there is a difference in through the looking glass because the the Jabberwocky has more of a presence, but um, they did it. I've I I don't know why they did it. I've never read it, but but <laughs> I feel like the way that it's done is is like with everything in the 80s at the end to teach a specific lesson. Um, so it's it's good. You'll see. I don't want to spoil it for you. But Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, that's going to be our next episode. Woohoo! I'm excited. It's going to be good. lots I'm of really fun. Excited. And then I'm telling yeah, you then so- when you read Heartless, 
you're going to look at that <laughs> differently too. And you're going to be reading Heartless and being like, oh my gosh, Marissa Meyer really pulled like every single element that she could from Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass and put it into this book. And it's great. And then you're never going to look at the Queen of Hearts in the same way ever again. So yeah, I'm very excited to read that. That's going to be yeah. a lot of fun, which will also be on Patreon. So now's the best time to subscribe on Patreon. Go and check out those tiers. Get all the exclusive content that there's already up and continue to get some great, great exclusive content. Yes. There you go. So (laughs) that's all we have for this episode. Next, we'll be watching the 1985 Alice in Wonderland. So if you have not seen that and you want to avoid spoilers, please be sure to watch that before next week. And we will catch you all in that episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. As I mentioned in the beginning, the next episode on Patreon will be going live on Friday, August 6th. So if you want to listen to me and Nova talk about all the Alice in Wonderland movies, uh, that's where that'll be. We're also going to be discussing um, Heartless with Leah from Why Book Chat over on Patreon, and that'll be coming out the first Friday of September. So if you want to listen to that, uh, join Patreon. It's $10 a month. It helps support this podcast, and I would really appreciate it. Also, if you want to just figure out other ways to help support the podcast um, besides Patreon, you can share it with a friend and write a review and all that fun stuff. It helps a lot more than you probably know, and I would really, really appreciate it. But yeah, that's kind of all I've got for you guys in this episode. Um, Any fun news will be over on Instagram and Twitter. Um, whenever I have news. So if you want to get social, follow me on all the things at barelybookish, uh, at barelybookish on all the social handles, or you can go to barelybookish.com slash connect and it'll give you a link to every single thing. But that's kind of all I've got for you guys this one on this one. Thank you all so very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next one. Our logo was designed by my little sibling, Sarah, and our theme song was by Raphael Crux on freepd.com. So thank you guys and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye.